0: Well, this is always a learning experience isn't it coming together and uh, I, I Look back uh, having the privilege to share with some of you that were here two years ago And for some of you the idea of uh, truth encounter that you didn't have to deal directly with the demons You could help the person was kind of new to you It was exciting to see so much affirmation coming back two years later saying it works <laughs> you know that Christ is the answer and truth will set people free and uh I'm thankful for that feedback from so many of you. Uh, and uh, that was a new thing for some, some of people. you Anyway, it was a new thing. And uh, it was new for an awful lot of people. I remember four or five years ago missionaries will say, "I think your truth encounter will work here, but I don't think it'll work overseas." Uh, well, if it's true, it's true for all people all times. The truth of the matter is we had about 4,200 people at the Philippine Convention Center. Most of them are missionaries and pastors. They were thrilled to death to realize that I could sit down in a quiet, controlled way in a holistic manner, helping people find their freedom in Christ. And uh, so it's exciting to see that. Uh, And the privilege that I've had, maybe to contribute a little bit to that. And I want to acknowledge the contribution back to me from two years ago. Uh, Like anything else in life, you have certain amount of experiences that are that you've never had yet, and uh, you sit down and you write something. As Best as you can I'm a person who desperately wants to be accountable uh, Not just for my morals people but for our message so dr. Bob's associate Temple school of theology reads everything that I have And so I I go out with a sense of theological confidence. You know if you knew Bob Soce, you'd appreciate what I'm saying right now uh, He's the kind of guy that can ask you all the right questions and care enough to ask them by the way, so I've uh, appreciated that but as I have gained experience in the area of MPD for instance In all honesty. I look back what I originally said in chapter 10 and release from Boston. I'm embarrassed (laughs) and and Then your eye starts to open just a little bit more and you kind of go, whoa, man, you know so what I say in chapter 10 there uh, reflects probably a graduation from kindergarten to first grade and uh, I think I'm probably maybe about second grade right now. And uh, what I do say in there about the spiritual side of it, which is where my expertise was at, is still as true as it ever was. And so you could gain a lot from that, I trust. Uh, but listen to some others on the on some of the integration of, of MPD. And I was a baby, and I need to honestly share that with you. It's uh, it's fascinating how the tendency is is to allow pride to come in and say, you know, I've got to keep defending my position. Yeah, that's wrong. One of the neat things about a body of believers like this is that we really have an opportunity to learn from one another and I'm trying to tell you I learned a lot two years ago and uh, and I'm deeply appreciative to those who have helped me in that area. I think if we knew the truth that every one of us right now from God's perspective is just starting to have one eye slightly open (laughs) you know you will never learn so much where we don't have to be dependent upon God. The tendency is to go the opposite direction. I've learned so much now. I don't need God. And uh, seminaries have gone by way of of that route. And they get caught up with their own intellectual arrogance instead of always acknowledging God. And for whatever reason, God has taken me the other direction. The more I've learned, the more I've gone to school, the more experience I've had, the more dependent upon God I've become. And I really think that we have to do that. It's too easy to fall back on a technique or a program. And that's what I want to share with you first this morning. Uh, and setting our churches free to try to analyze what in the world has happened in America because when I read my Bible We are more than conquerors in Christ. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me You know he'll supply all my needs and I see this tremendous sense of victory afforded us and yet I see the church just struggling and limping along and people in desperate need And There's an answer there for that and so I just really puzzled at that and I'd like to have Dave turn on my first slide there I want to start with individual disciplines first, and then move it to, to corporate problems. Individually, let me tell you what I think we've done, and I think this comes out of academia. You know, much of this starts at our seminaries and, and is passed on down. But you can read a passage like, like uh, Luke two fifty-two. The Lord continued to grow in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. And some have taken that and said, well, there are there are personal disciplines uh, that are spiritual, that are mental, that are physical. Based on that, you can you can Come to Christian activities that we should be doing as individuals, as believers. And I think what we've done, and I've done this, is I probably, and every one of those up there, has given a message sometime or probably a seminar somewhere uh, on those issues. And uh, because of academia, I think what we've done is we've gone to our concordance and found out everything God had to say about uh, worship, about families, divorce, recovery, marriage, whatever. And, uh, and you write a book on it, and you look at it and you say yeah, that's good. You know that's seems to really be accurate reflection of what God has to say Well, then what's wrong? why isn't it working and my answer is this I Don't I believe it's because we have not been connected adequately to the hub of this wheel Go that next slide up Dave if you would uh, We haven't taught our people to abide in Christ Now, let me illustrate this, because I think in in going to that, we've jumped to the second half of the epistles that told us how to be fathers and mothers and servants and masters and slaves and whatever else. What happens is we miss the first half of the epistles. What did the first half do? It established us in Christ. If you're firmly rooted in him, now being built up in him, you can walk in him. But if that's not done first, all you end up with is a subtle form of Christian behavioralism. Sounds a little bit like this stop doing that and start doing this But we boast in the fact that we're not legalists anymore actually what's happened is we've just switched from a negative legalism Don't do this don't do that don't do that to a positive legalism do this do this do this do this do this And we're driving our people into the stops or that's not the best way to do it Here's a better way to do it and you start huffing and puffing your way through now Let me the the classic example to the this is is uh, the whole problem with our families and marriages When the sixties came and and society just exploded on us and and just families started to fall apart. Prior to nineteen sixty, you could recite studies that said if a family prayed together, worshiped together, only one in a thousand or so would separate. Nobody's given that stat anymore, are they? (laughs) The divorce rate in our in our churches is pretty much the same. Well, in response to that, our seminary programs and our churches just 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 said we forgot the family or something. And man. What used to be evangelism and discipleship got turned over to clinical psychology, and everything was save the family, family first. And it's the greatest felt need in America today. Go down to your Christian bookstore and see what the big sellers are. It's divorce recovery and single parenting. And and because it's, it's an overwhelming need that we have, focus on the family sprung up, great organization, never in the history of the church has there been a more concerted effort to save the family. But with all of those books, all those programs, all those degrees, how are We doing Gotten any better people no is there something wrong with those programs and those books no by and large. It's very good stuff But here's my presupposition Paul is often divided his his epistles into the first half the second half I was told as a student that's the theological section. Here's the practical section. What did this section do it established you in Christ? See here's my belief you get a person free in Christ they will instinctively do the second half of the epistles that will be the natural thing for them to do But boy you've got a person to just try to behave right when their belief is wrong about who they are themselves They have no understanding of the nature of the battle going on for their life. It just doesn't work. Well, try harder I'm trying harder, and we're running our people into absolute exhaustion When the Sabbath rest remains for us when we come to the end of our resources we discover God's well I think we've done the same thing corporately. Let me throw up the next slide. Then we saw the, the church struggling. And you look at the whole rise of church growth in the late seventies and eighties. If you look back in terms of church history, the decade of church growth, in terms of studies and programs and degrees, it was church growth. I mean the pastors ran off, got the doctor of ministries in church growth. People became consultants. Oftentimes they didn't do very well in churches, so they became consultants. I mean, that's more true than we'd ever care to admit, but but uh, uh, I Know people because I've taught them. I've been teaching doctoral classes for a long time right now And uh, we have just laid out all kinds of things. Here's the church. Here's what we should do Here's worship and prayer and learn all kinds of church disciplines So why isn't it working did the church grow in the 80s? Actually, I think if we went back to the early 80s that the evangelical community was really respected as a political force for instance now not at all. Not at all. Uh, we're just being patronized in America today. Do you realize that? Sure, you got religious freedom, but you stay out of public education, you stay out of politics, you stay out of government. It's just amazing how we, we're just being patronized today. And here's the church, the pillar of support of the truth. He said, well, we've got to bear fruit. See, that's the problem. Go to John 15. By This is my father glorified that you've got to bear fruit. You must bear fruit. Oh, we've got to bear fruit. No, you don't. You've got to abide in Christ. That's what you have to do. If you abide in Christ, you will bear fruit. And somehow we've missed that. It's such a subtle thing. We put all of our confidence in our programs, in our strategies, instead of in Christ. I remember um, we had a privilege about a well, a little over a year ago I had to go up to First Baptist Modesto. And for years, Bill Yeager had been the pastor there. and had this Institute of Church Imperatives. And I'll tell you what. I don't know of any church in the 70s or 80s that really tried to understand uh, New Testament Church growth put it into practice they were the first of the leaders to have cell groups support groups and uh, Tremendous evangelistic training there people all over the world flocked there, but for ten years They have just flat they watched a counseling video that I've done uh, as a pastoral staff and they called us and they said "Can You come up here. You just set our whole staff free I mean, I really don't know what they did, but they decided they weren't going to just watch it they were going to do it and um, By now Yeager's retired and the new church has come in and I went up and I explained this to them what's happened now just plateaued uh, Struggling to bear fruit struggling to maintain it just just maintenance type ministry with the best programs probably in the United States seriously Uh, Almost all of their staff 20 or so had been born out of that old church and come back and matured and and, uh, Discipled there which is an incredible testimony to that church They realized when they saw this what exactly was going on all their confidence now was in their programs and their strategies. Good people come along and they develop some because they have a heart for God. The next generation comes along and they think it's the program or the strategy. They don't realize it was the heart of that man that began all of that. So we're looking for better methods and God's looking for better men. You've heard that before, but it, uh, it's a subtle thing. Then I started to realize that that was going out to churches that uh, you'd help individuals find their freedom in Christ, but man, there was a Paul hanging over this church. And then We started to entertain the thought. I think there's a sense of corporate bondage That as a leadership we have not dealt with our issues. We swept stuff under the carpet Now, well, you have a, the way our society's gone in America You got three or four generations of people there and They got accumulating garbage in their life and problems, and they're never being resolved And oftentimes our preaching has been behavioralistically. I, I know because I've been a seminary and realizing that that's the objective there's something now you ought to do when you leave this church and uh, now you ought to get your act together And you ought to be a better husband a better wife. And, oh boy. Okay I'll try but if you really are a spiritual person come back tonight, and I'll give you three things you ought to do and uh, But if you're real sick i come back Wednesday night when I mean, we can really lay it on the Saints and here's about seven things you ought to do You know and after a while the people oh man. I can't do that anymore. I'm trying okay I'll tell you I think one of our problem is that the intention of worship it's not necessarily to come and find out ten more things that I need to do. I think what you ought to celebrate is what Christ has already done. That the war has already been won, and that the warring factors have already been resolved, and we're to hang on. See, that's our problem is that our people are getting beat up in society enough, and then we come get beat them up some more in church. We gotta get our people free. We gotta get our churches free. And I think if that happened, people you'd see some incredible. Incredible Things take place in our society. I think it is so bad right now I think Swindoll was right the uh, church is much like those are I mean you couldn't stand the stink inside if it wasn't for the storm outside and uh, I mean there is a storm outside, but I Mean I'm sure if you've done our kind of ministry and you sit and have people time after time forgive the church leader forgive the church leader forgive the church leaders because they haven't dealt with issues they covered it up and as I've gone out and shared this concept, it is incredible how people say, Man, you're talking about my church. There are not very many healthy churches out there. I mean, we're that are living organisms substantially bearing fruit. And I think that we have put almost all of our confidence in our degrees and in our programs and in our strategies instead of in Christ. I mean it is so subtle because it looks so good, it can be theologically right, but just dead. So I'd like you to take your Bibles and turn with me if you would to uh, Revelation 2 and 3 Let's see how God views his church He's going to write to some churches here seven and you know the text here a little bit I want to point out some subtle things about this whole context one is that we are clearly told that uh, In uh, chapter 1 verse 20 as for the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches if these are literal churches they're literal angels and that's who it is written to here those angels are in the right hand of God to bring judgment to bring rewards and uh, to carry out his work now one of the important concepts as you would read through these two uh, chapters here is to realize the incredible presence of God there are 50 times plus 50 times where the Lord in writing this I am there it was me it's I that the Lord is moving amongst this church today chapter 2 verse 1 says the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this he's walking amongst our churches today it bothers me oh God be here God's here That's a denial of the omnipresence of God. Thank you, Lord, that you're here. But he's here right now. He's in your life, and he's moving amongst us right now. Uh, Then you say, well, this is about angels. Not really. Uh, When each one of these begins, he said, I know your deeds. God knows what we're doing. He knows the nature of our churches. Everyone starts with that. Everyone ends with, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit has to say. And I'm telling you, I really believe if we would uh, spend a lot more time listening to God than talking to Him, uh, I think we have a lot better churches. I think He wants to say something to us. I think He wants to write a letter to our churches. I really believe that, and say, "Listen, this is what I think of your churches here." <laughs> and uh, if you go through these, and they're, they're to me they're just incredibly representative of the churches of the ages. But let me just walk quickly through them without trying to read them all. It would take too much time to do that. But the church at Ephesus is probably the one we're most familiar with because uh, you know it is the classic legalistic church to me They're 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 doing all the right things they're doing it and, uh, They hate evil and they got the right programs to be honest with you of all the churches this one has the best spokes They got great spokes But they lost their first love They're not connected to the hub. It's just a bunch of behavioralism. is all it is we're trying to change people's behavior. God's trying to change our belief as A man thinketh in his heart so is he what do we see so is he so what do we try to change? But so is he come on back up a notch? It's what's going on between the ears the battle isn't out there. It's right here between the ears and Hence the necessity to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. I think God is throwing it back on our faith. We thought for the longest time our problem is is Washington and and, uh, and we need a the righteous president, so he gave us Clinton. And uh, and I believe judgment begins in the household of God. We want to clean up Washington. God wants to clean up His churches. We're concerned about church growth. God's concerned about church purity. You know why? It's a prerequisite to legitimate church growth. Purity first. Well, here's this poor church, and uh, they're struggling along. He said, "You lost your first love. Well, how do I get that back?" Go back and do the deeds you did at first. I mean, you're just carrying out these motions here. Get back there and renew your church, and then you come to the uh, to the church of Smyrna. Here's a defeated church. I mean, they are so spiritually under attack. It was a synagogue of Satan. That's what he says. And boy, I said, hang on. The whole instruction there is, hang on. Let him who uh, endures to the end. And uh, because there are churches out there incredibly under siege today. There are ministries, probably yours, incredibly under siege today. Uh, and God looks down and says, Well, these bad people are attacking your ministry. From God's perspective, synagogue Satan. And, uh, then the message at uh, Pergamum and it said, um, This is the religious tolerance church. I mean, they are entertaining stuff and grabbing hooks over here, and they're just watering down their whole ministry. They've got major problems. They're teaching the teachings of Balaam and sacrificing to idols, and, and, and yet there's good there. It's that mixture of, of a religiously tolerant church. Well, you know, I don't agree with that, but we tolerate a lot of stuff in our church that uh, I don't think you should tolerate. I mean, this is the day of discernment. Because these people I think were really quite deceived. And we need some sense of discernment. And I've gone into churches and people well, what's wrong with spirit guides? You know? They're helpful, aren't they? They're demons. <laughs> you can't believe how new age medicine has creeped into our churches. And people dealing with iridology and reflexology and I said, get hold of a couple books in this area, and read up on it because because the medical profession is just being besieged by new age teaching. Most of our nurses are going off getting new age teaching, and University uh, uh, Press's book, New Age Medicine, would be probably where I would encourage you to start. David and Sharon Sneed wrote a book, The Hidden Agenda, by Thomas Nelson, that uh, his, he was so concerned out in Austin, Texas, because of the tremendous amount of instruction that his nurses were getting in their hospital. Well. Anyway, it's a duke's mixture. The uh, message to Thyatira is, that's a new age church. They, they actually tolerate a false prophetess there. Right in their own church. False prophet. I've had people come to me, what about this girl in my church? I mean, this, this woman is icky, sticky, spiritual. Boy, she just seems like she's got a window through everything that's going on. She can see spirits and she can point out people's sex problems. Great gift from God, right? No. I said, let me tell you about her. I Said your husband's not a Christian Your kids are all rebellious. Well, how did you know that I said it's wrong spirit folks And and we'll let somebody who's deeply in trouble with their other areas of their life and but they the religiously brilliant That's an inconsistency with Scripture The leaders that we ought to listen to are those who are submissive servant heart people who are mature in the Lord not some poor person who's gone through a pile of junk and all of a sudden. She's spiritually brilliant. I Think she's spiritually deceived to be honest with you you pay attention to what she has to say and I almost guarantee you'll go down the wrong path and isn't just her i'm going to sound like a <laughs> chauvinist here or something like that there are men but the problem it is our, our ladies are just simply more spiritually inclined by the way for good and evil you'll find more of our ladies are more spiritually deep than our men are as in average in the church you'll also find more ladies in new age and, and you name it well and so here's a here's a new age church it Just fits so well to us today. and Then you got the dead church, Sardis. I mean, it's dead. This is the one that really looks good. We got great facilities, great choir robes. You're dead. Man. It's, a, it's a sad, sad church. The one good church seems to be the message to Philadelphia, but what well, they were under siege as well. And then, of course, everybody knows about Laodicea, the lukewarm church. I wish that you were hot or cold. You know, they need the Mississippi squirrel revival. First, self-righteous church of Pascadula, you know whatever it was. it was. I don't know if you've seen that little cartoon strip, but it's kind of exciting. But 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 that's our churches today. You know, one or two healthy ones. Some of the things doing the right thing. Others have tolerated religious junk. Some of them got deep spiritual problems, and others are just going through the motions. Well, what are we going to do about this? The problem with with corporate bondage is the fact that. So whose responsibility is this? I mean, you know, they look at the pastor. He tries to do something. They run him off. And the, the board, uh, well, it's our responsibility, but they don't know what to do about it. I, I mean, you know, the whole problem with bondage is right here, because nobody likes living in bondage. Can you accept that? Nobody likes living in bondage. If they knew how to get out of it, they'd have gotten out of it a long time ago. Believe you me. And uh, we're sitting in our church, and that pastor—he's—he's he's kind of—it's like a fanatic. He's lost sight of where he should go, so he just doubles his efforts, and he just tries harder and harder, and. I'll, you know I I, I got to preach better and, and the choir's got to sing better and the more they try nothing happens My heart goes out to that one and chances are there is a whole Six series of, of generations the of problem in that church that have never been resolved just swept under the carpet and the problem continues on You know as you read in the Old Testament It says that all the kings of Israel when the nation divided every one of them none of them are godly Every one of them scripture says they continued in the sins of Jeroboam They just perpetuated the error. I personally believe that any one of those kings could have said he was wrong. We should never have divided this nation. That was a rebellious split. We went against God at that time. We turned our back at God. We should have not worshipped up here. We should have worshipped in Jerusalem and could have led that back. None of them did. The only exceptions were basically Nehemiah and Daniel and Ezra. And they all just stood corporately. We have sinned. We've sinned. Uh, here's a hard thing for some people to accept That if you continue to allow a certain problem like that to exist in your church from God's perspective You are as guilty of that as the one who initially did it It's like dealing with somebody That uh, is an incest victim, and you help them work through that crisis, and they need to forgive their father now who did that? But if they knew that their mother knew about it and didn't do anything which would be the harder one to forgive your mother you say, "Well, I got a board. Yeah, we got this bad guy in our church, and you allow him to continue to to beat up the pastor and to destroy the work of that church." And I'm saying before God that that board, that group of people, is as guilty as the one who's doing it. If you don't stand against him, I know that's sobering, but that's that tolerance. He said, "Daniel, we sin. We're here for 70 years in exile. Why? Because for 490 years they failed to observe." That that land should have been laid fellow every seven years. That's why we're here But he said we've sinned. I'm part of that. I, I Was a part of the group that that allowed it to continue on like that. I did not stand up and say anything Well So we've we sat down. We've been working now for some time. We've taken about 19 churches through a process We're all aboard all the staff come together and we sit down and we work through this and uh, Our whole concern is would you listen to what God is saying to your church? See your church from the way God is seeing it today. I mean, it's very easy to cover up and be defensive here By the way before I go on let me tell you something we say it very strongly in the book Don't attempt this if your people are individually in bondage because it won't work. It's like trying to get a family to work together and and, uh, Family dynamics and systems you're all dealing with the behavior now you've got to get the individuals out of bondage first And So we'll spend a Friday night. It's one of the appendix in the book to walk all the staff and the leadership through those steps to freedom clean up your own house first now if that's clean now We can get together and come together uh, We're also working on a, a family structure of a family bondage problem That a husband and wife work through those issues in terms of what has been tolerated and permitted in their family over years and, uh, and To clean that house like that so There's a end up to be seven steps again. I'm sorry. It's just kind of ended up that way Nothing magical about seven it seems to fit the book of Revelation very well, however so awful lot of sevens there. And so we start with strengths. I have this for you. You know, we're not out trying to say you're not doing anything right. That's not true. Most of our people are really trying to do the best they can. I really believe that. A lot of our churches are are really struggling, would really like to do, and they are doing a few things well. And so they pray and ask God, show us what are we doing well? Make a list. We put a big old butcher paper thing on the wall and, and they write down and list their strengths at the end of thank you, God. We just trust that you allow us to continue to do this well. Now, what are our weaknesses? What haven't we done well? And uh, usually, that list gets bigger than the other. One. <laughs> it's true. And the back burner—you know—stuff got shoved off. had not dealt with it as a church, and we haven't been concerned about these people here and whatever. So they make a list of that, and uh, then we deal with painful memories. Boy, memories—they shape our sense of worth, our perspective of our own church. There are people embarrassed about their church. Do you know how many times in the last two three years I've sat with pastors, and I said, can I ask you a personal question? I said, if you weren't pastoring here right now, would you come to this church yourself? I'm telling you, the majority has said no. Now, how would you like to, to sit there and labor in the vineyard like that and you've got a church under your charge that you personally would not feel comfortable inviting people to. That would be incredibly discouraging, wouldn't it? I mean, I, I don't know, I would probably feel like leaving, but I, I have seen that so many times that no, I don't want to leave these people here. They don't even treat visitors very well, <laughs> or run a few off, or whatever. But um, it, it either builds or destroys morale. There's good and bad memories here. Much of worship in the Old Testament. Recall the things that God done it's a it's a a Mental process that you go back and remember when he did this remember when he did that And uh, if you look at the revival under several of that's what they did they went back That's how they worship God he took us through the sea he brought us here and he's delivered And so thank God for the good memories because they do build morale But if those things aren't resolved then stories come up and rumors come up and those things that we thought we buried in the past are our emotional joys as well as pains, their source of pride but also shame, for our church, source of happiness and sadness, for health and disease. And, uh, we just list that. It's amazing to see grown men come in there and get in touch with two or three generations of junk that's gone on in the church. And uh, and you say, well, it's resolved. The bad people are gone. Pain's still there, still there. And uh, boy, they just come to tears when they start to recall then they work through a whole sense of corporate repentance of that. God, I forgive, and I release that person, and I ask you to bless them. Man, that will bring out some really tough commitment of their will, but we're told to bless those who curse us. And uh, these people have left, and it's hard to just exercise my will. I mean, we sat as a staff, and, you know, if you do my ministry, you're going to get some opposition. I mean, you got to count on that. You I know, mean, Paul had Alexander the coppersmith, and Nehemiah had Sanbella and Tobiah, and, Jesus had the whole world. It you know, was willing to crucify him. So I mean, and they stoned the prophets. And you say, I want people to like me. You know, I don't like people not like me. Uh, but as you can imagine, there's been some pretty heavy attacks. I remember one guy came to me one time. In fact, Bill Wallfall is here. He said, "Isn't it interesting, Neil, that when Jesus went out and withered that guy with a withered hand, and he healed him? Now, if anybody's heart was right there, it Oh, thank you for for.'" Healing that man's head was withered before; now it's healed. What did they do? They conspired against him. What a wicked heart! Think about that. He did an incredible act of grace of God in that man's life, and he conspired against him. And you're going to set a few people free, and they'll conspire against you. I've had to have the privilege to help people; and they're so free and they're changed. The whole life is different. I'm turning against me. You just kind of—is that possible? Yes, it's possible. Look at the man laying by the pool of Bethesda 57 years. Do you want to be well? That's either the cruelest question in the New Testament or the most profound It's the latter Did he want to be well? No? He liked laying there in his sickness You know what you'd have done? If you're at this conference, this is what you would have done I'd have rolled over there somehow if I thought of, that that old angel would stir up that pool And I would be healed if I got in I'd find some way to get into that pool And I think you would too and said what did he do? the Lord healed him anyhow what happened? Went and turned him in. This guy healed me on the Sabbath. Read it. It's it's incredible. And uh, you know the story of the ten that were healed. Only one went back and thanked him. You know, but praise God. Anyhow, you, you had a chance to help those people. And, and, uh, it's wonderful. Well, anyway, uh, working through this thing is tough. Do you realize that Second Corinthians two, it says that we're urged to forgive, for we're not ignorant of Satan's schemes. That were their noemous thoughts. That's the battle right in here. Is that a personal forgiveness there or a corporate one? It's corporate. Look at the context. They had to discipline somebody in their fellowship and he said, "No, stop it. You know, forgive this person." And um, and that's what we have to do. Otherwise, that past will just continue to to hang on to us. He said, "But he's left the church now. The problem's over with." No, it's not. I mean, if you've worked people through our steps to freedom and you get to forgiveness, you're going to find forgiveness is the biggest ticket to freedom there is. That is Satan's greatest grounds to the church today. The greatest access he has is the bitter spirit on forgiveness. That's been the overwhelming experience of us. You're still hooked to the past. And we can do that corporately. We had this bad problem here. Well, you haven't dealt with it. I started out the the book with a uh, true story of a pastor who let me know. I got hold of our material, a nice guy, and and I was telling people who they are in Christ. And he's the third pastor they had, the first one. Had a rebellion split, and that's how they started the church. Had a more problem, they ran him off. Got a young pastor, their first pastor, they ran him off. Now he's the third one. But he was assured that the problem people were gone now. So the church is okay, you all come. But the trouble of it is, is that it hadn't been resolved. And so he looked through the minutes and said, You didn't treat your last pastor right. Well, it was really the other people, the leadership that did it, weren't even there anymore. But as a church, they had not dealt properly with that pastor. And so they called him and asked him if he'd come back that guy left the ministry after that and uh, So he reluctantly agreed to come back apparently and they stood before the church and the chairman read a list of offenses That they had done to him as a pastor and asked his forgiveness and they said there wasn't a dry eye out there And everybody thought well, it's gone. He's gone all the problems are with it's not over with You just buried it alive. It's not buried dead. You haven't forgiven you haven't worked through it and we sit time after time in our churches and realize how many people need to forgive their pastors and the elders because they swept over it. They didn't they didn't tell their people. I said, "Why? Are, we're Christians. We're supposed to walk in the light and speak the truth for members of one another. Why are we covering up something in the church? There is nothing covered that won't be revealed. Nothing. You can't cover that up. And if you don't do it voluntarily, you'll do it. And David, you had 9 months to confess your sin because you didn't I'm gonna. Your your sons will sleep with your wives on the rooftops of Israel, and they did. Oh, sobering. How am I doing? I'm out of time. And um, memories, uh, forgiveness. I mean, just watch them work through that as a corporate body. It's incredible. Corporate sins, patterns of behavior. They've a lot, they've tolerated stuff in their church just like they did in these churches here in Revelation. They've allowed that to continue on. They're guilty for it. They stand before God and patterns of behavior that they've uh, allowed themselves to be involved in. Let me just uh, uh, read briefly, if I may. Listen to Daniel. Ten minutes? Thank you. Listen to Daniel's confession. O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with all who love him and obey his commands, we have sinned and done wrong. We've been wicked and have rebelled. Look at the wheeze here. This is Daniel. He has a great heart for God. And he's sitting over there in Babylon. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. Lord, you're righteous. But this day we are covered with shame, the men of Judah and people of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far, in all the countries, where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. O Lord, we and our kings, our princes, and our fathers have... Covered with shame because we've sinned against you. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving even though we have rebelled against him We've not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws He gave us through his servants and prophets all Israel has transgressed your law and turned away refusing to obey you Therefore the curses and sworn judgment with written in the law of Moses the servant of God have been poured forth on us Because we've sinned against you. Nehemiah did exactly the same thing basically he said we have sinned and secondly his point was you have the right to deal justly with us, and that's why we're here right now. That's why these walls are broken down. You had, you had a right to do that, and, uh, and and acknowledge that. It's it's fascinating to see how that stuff is not dealt with. That the sins of one generation will pass on to another generation. And I'm saying, dear people, we can put a stop to that. We can stand and deal with this. I had a pastor call me and said, you know, this church began as a rebellious split. Wonderful pastor, love the Lord. If I lived in that area, I'd go to his church, but it's done nothing. It's just kind of maintained for years, and I'm puzzled at that. And I, you know, this guy's a dear guy. He said, "You know, I've I really think I have everybody since I've been here has really questioned my leadership and just like a rebellious spirit." He said, uh, "I don't know if this makes sense." He said, "But this church started that way. It was an ugly split in this town. Uh, all the people there are now gone, but the problem seems to remain." And he said, uh, What do you think about bringing our congregation together and asking God to forgive us for rebelling based on the fact that John 17 says, I pray that you'd all be one. But we weren't one, we were divided. And uh, boy, he said, that was one of the most moving things I've ever done in my church. People realized it. He said, it was After the church body said, We have sinned, we have rebelled against God, and we ask you forgiveness. And it was just like the whole thing broke in this church. There's nothing magic here. This is the repentance issue to me. You know, I don't think you should go out in this to try to get rid of some spirits that's hovering over your church. I think the problem is is repentance. You know, we got garbage in our lives, and it attracts flies. Oh, get rid of the flies! No, get rid of the garbage. And we got garbage in our church. It's attract flies. It's a synagogue of Satan. Get rid of Satan! No, get rid of the garbage. Get rid of the garbage. Well. Corporate sins patterns of behavior then there's another one you're under attack like the One particular church here was simply because they're doing something right That was the the church at Smyrna. They're under attack hang in there. Hold on. He said now you're under attack Can we stand against that? I think we really can let me uh Read what Chuck said in this area. I think you'll just love it in reference to those churches putting out a scripture he says Smyrna I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not but are a synagogue of Satan Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer I tell you the devil will put some of you in prison to test you and you will suffer persecution for ten days Here's Chuck's comments. He said what people saw were Jews who slandered the Christians in Smyrna the church What Jesus saw was a synagogue of Satan what people saw were Roman rulers who threw Christians in jail What Jesus saw was the devil who put some in in, uh, prison Not all synagogues were demonized. This one was not all authorities believe lies about Christians, but in Smyrna the Roman overlords did and uh, They were under attack They were under attack To Pergamum he said I know where you live where do they live where Satan has his throne What people saw was this city on a hill with major temples in it what Jesus saw was Satan's throne What people saw was the center of the Empire worship in Asia what Jesus saw was the city where Satan lived this place was oppressive to Christians to The Church at Thyatira he said now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets You know what I would equate that to today the sixth and seventh book of Moses The uh, the course on miracles uh, The junk that is passed around under the name of Christianity today seeming to be Christian, but it really wasn't at all It's from the pit and uh, Those things were tolerated there what people saw was a prophetess who taught that since grace covered every sin, it was okay to indulge in pagan temple feasts? That's what people saw. What did God see? He saw a satanist trap. To the Church of Philadelphia, He said, "I will make those who are the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews though they are not, but are liars." He said, "What people saw were two religious groups who had different interpretations about their belief. What Jesus saw was a demonized synagogue. What people saw was deep animosity that had religious roots." What Jesus saw was a pack of liars who were about to be proved wrong. What people saw were allegations of dangerous practices and beliefs of Christians. What Jesus saw was a church wrongly accused. I mean, how the Lord sees our church is probably quite different from ours. And I think if we will listen to the Spirit, and He will share with us, I really believe that. And I think the answer out of this thing, as God, as we've learned in our ministry, and we constantly uh, get the, put it back on the people, would you pray right now? And ask God what it is that's keeping you in bondage. and Boy, I'll tell you what. God does it. He wants our people free. Now, will you deal with the issue? The answer now is repentance. And Once that repentance is there, you have all the authority you need to do to commit that property, your ministry to the Lord. And I personally feel we've got to get God back into our personal lives. We've got to get God back into our marriages. We've got to get God back as the chairman of our board. We've got to do that. Because if we don't, it can end up to be a synagogue of Satan, and uh, then we uh, uh, develop out of that thing and take all the information that they put up and make a prayer action plan. Specifically, how are we going to do with that? And we make a list of specific things that are identified. So our prayers aren't just kind of "God help us" kind of a thing. God will help you. I promise He would. I mean, He's all the strength you need. I mean, He is your answer. He said, but. Uh, there's four things. We make a list and, and synthesize all the stuff that we gather together. We renounce is our response to uh, the command to repent. We renounce that. What is wrong? And uh, we announce. That's his commitment to remember. He said, remember the deeds you've done at first. What is the right thing? What should you be doing? Uh, we affirm. That's in response to hold on. A number of times he said, now hold on. And he said, we will. That's his commandment to obey. And so to get a group of leaders to do that. I mean, you know the potential here is awesome people awesome You say what's the catch? The catch is there's going to be a legalistic pastor and a sick controlling board member Who's not going to want this book in his church? That's what's going to happen and some nice meaning lay person will say Pastor you ought to read this book. This is what our church needs and I will be on another hit list from about uh, you know <laughs> a Whole bunch of pastors who don't want to walk in the light you see men love darkness more than light because their deeds are evil And you go and you find it, and you'll get all kinds of surface things, and they'll try to attack you on your theology or whatever else. I said, That's not it, people. That's just a dodge. I've learned that years ago. People come up, Well, Neil, it says right here in the Bible. I said, You know, that's a good question. I said, Can I ask you personally what's going on? Is it your marriage? You know, you can hide behind a pulpit. You can hide behind your theology very easily and use it as a defense. And, and people do that. It's a religious defense, and it's a tragic one. One guy came to me one time, and said "Neil, my problem is canonicity. Canonicity. Honestly, all I could think of was the canon for a moment. I said, "Oh, you mean the, the closing of the canon?" He said, "Yeah, I've read seven books on it. Seven books on the canon? Are there seven books on the canon?" I read seven paragraphs years ago. and uh, you think his problem is canonicity? It wasn't at all. It was his father, and we sat down and worked through forgiveness. And the guy bonded with God that night and gave an incredible testimony the next morning. And I said, well, uh, I'll tell you what, dear people, it's a call to get our churches and our people free. I think if that happened, we could just see incredible things happen. And you know what? I think God has waited, and so it's so bad uh, that he can finally do something. I mean, we've tried everything. He said, Are you done trying? Thank you You forget about your silly little program and your strategy right now and talk to me and get back in here Because frankly if I'm in it anything will work and if God isn't in it nothing will work and uh, Well anyway, let me close with this Probably the the neatest Christmas present I've ever received in my life This has to be one of the most abused human beings. I've ever dealt with Uh, I helped her get out of the initial incredible first layer of this unbelievable onion and uh, the change was dramatic. my 18 years in counseling and, and uh, The first layer was was a huge slab and her counselor came in with me and, and uh, then she started to realize the MPD started to surface and uh, getting some help, but she uh, She uh, wrote this to my wife and I she was so abused that my wife had to be with her and myself Just initially just to talk with her because just to haven't been alone with a man who had sexually violated her in the past was was she couldn't do it, so Duane was just with me, and uh, not needed anymore, by the way. But but anyway, she has captured to me the message of the church in a remarkable way. Said while on vacation as a child one year, I happened upon a gold watch that I had noticed was lying on the ground. It was covered with dirt and gravel and was faced out in the parking lot of our motel. At first glance, it did not seem worth the effort to bend down and pick it up, but for some reason I found myself reaching for it anyway. The crystal was broken, the watch band was gone, there was moisture on the dial. From all appearances, there was no logical reason to believe this watch would still work. Every indication was that its next stop would be the trash can. Those in my family who were with me at the time laughed at me for picking it up. My mother even scolded me for holding such a dirty object that was so obviously destroyed. As I reached for the winding stem my brother made comment as to my lack of intelligence Been run over by cars he chided nothing can endure that kind of treatment as I turned the stem the second hand of the watch Began to move my family was wrong truly odds were against the watch working But there was one thing no one thought of no matter how broken the outside was if the inside was not damaged It would still run and indeed it did keep perfect time this watch was made to keep time its outside appearance Had nothing to do with the purpose for which it was designed. Although the appearance was damaged, the inside was untouched and in perfect condition. 25 years later, I still have that watch. I take it out every once in a while and I wind it up. It still works. I think as long as the inside remains untouched, it always will. However, unless I had bothered to pick it up and try to wind it years ago, I never would have known the part of the watch that really mattered was still in perfect condition. Although it looks like a piece of junk, it will always be a treasure to me because I look beyond the outside appearances. And believed in what really mattered, its ability to function in the matter for which it was created. Thank you, Neil and Joanne, for making the effort to pick up the watch and turn the stem. You're helping me to see that my emotions may be damaged, but my soul is still in perfect union with God. And that is what was created to be with Christ, the only permanent part, the part that really matters. I know that deep within my heart no matter what my feelings are telling me this is true I also believe that with the help of God's servants even the casing can be repaired and maybe even that will become functional again Well, she's working with Jim Friesen right now and God's doing a marvelous thing in her life through him. Well That's the role of the church. There's people all over this world who've been run over by cars damaged abused and battered and beaten and rejected and Criticized and put down and I think it's the work of the church to pick up that watch and turn the stem But if we're going to be an answer to the high priestly prayer in John 17 What he is praying for in us. We're going to have to learn to do that in truth and in unity and in love Let's pray for our churches Father you look down and you see your body badly beaten and bruised I want to thank you that you have given us a plan, a way, that if we would return to you, that Father, if we would find our freedom and to connect our people to God and to realize that we're not the wonderful counselor, but you are, that you're looking for the right people, not necessarily the right methods. And so, Father, may we just daily declare that sense of dependency upon you we could be used of you to bring release and freedom to your people to your churches. I just want to publicly, for the first time, just commit this book to you and trust that God will be used in the right way, not to beat somebody over the head, but Father, to bring freedom to our churches and to our people. I know that's your desire. I know that that's something we can ask according to your will because. That's why you went to the cross to purchase that freedom for us. And I know you love your church. You love your people. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Thank you,